When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. This is The Family Brain. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Eugene Stalowski. Eugene, or Jean, is a survivor of the Black Sunday fires in New York City, and he talks about his work in helping other helpers um, cope with PTSD and trauma and I was put in touch with him because I heard he was an incredibly positive, inspiring person, and I wanted to hear more about how he took his difficult situations and and decided to use that to help other people. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you get a chance, please leave a review on iTunes. I would love a good review, and it helps other people find the episode. Thanks so much. So I was put in touch with you through our mutual friend, Megan O'Brien Shea. She's my friend from college. Okay. She always made me go out and drink even when I wanted to stay home. So that's her. (laughs) I'm sure you can see that, right? Like, I'd be like, I'm tired. I don't want to do anything. She's like, you're a loser. Come on. So anyway, (laughs) that's how we know each other. And, um, but she talked to me about you and told me I needed to, to talk to you and hear your story because she said she has never met someone who is so incredibly positive and anybody with that, I know that's probably a lot to hear, but it's just, you know, that's something we're all trying to do better at. And if, if you have any secret sauce to share with us, we would love to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I wonder if you could start a little bit. I, I, um, I know you are a survivor of a tragic incident with black Sunday, um, the fires in New York city and lost friends and coworkers. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about I don't know what happened, but, but more so like how, how that impacted you and how your life changed on a dime after that experience. Yeah. um, Well, obviously um, we're talking about black Sunday. Um, It was January 23rd, 2005. Um, The New York city fire department, we had two fires that day where we lost members within the department that hadn't had happened in over a hundred years. So that's how it got named 
Black Sunday. Um, the fire I was involved in, uh, there were six of us that were trapped um, on the fourth floor of a tenement building in, in the Bronx. Uh, ended up where we had to jump from. Uh, it ended up being five floors. Uh, we were up on the fifth floor in the rear of this building. So we ended up jumping 50 feet. We got trapped in there uh, due to an illegal occupancy. And um, the fire cut us off from both of our exits. And we got trapped at windows. And we didn't have ropes and harnesses on that day. And we were forced to all jump out of the building. Um, two guys passed away that morning. Uh, four of us were seriously injured. Um one guy subsequently passed away in 2011 due to injuries that he had sustained there also. Um, you know, and I think that, I mean, I had serious injuries as far as physical injuries um, from the fall, obviously. I, I pretty much, I always say, I blew my body apart. Um, my The worst injury I had was my, I internally decapitated myself. Um so I was paralyzed for two and a half months, uh, extensive rehab that I had to do. Um, but all this changing, um, you know, how you think about things sometimes as far as life and, and, and everything around you and stuff. Um, you know, I had, a, at the time I had a two and a half year old daughter. I had uh, twins down the way. And I always remember feeling like when I was in therapy and I was going through my physical therapy and stuff that I had to get as much back as I could to be there for them. Mm. And, you know, so that was sort of what you held on to in those moments when you kind of maybe would have, I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I I think so. I think that, you know, that was sort of like my goal Mm. was never knowing if I was ever going to walk again or uh, be out of a wheelchair, or be off a ventilator, or any of that stuff, you know, early on. You know, I was, like I said, paralyzed, you know, from the neck down, not able to communicate uh, on a ventilator, you know, everything being done for me. And then, but always thinking in my head, I says, you know, get as much back as I can, you know. Mm -hmm. Even at one point thinking, okay, if I'm in a wheelchair, but I can use my upper body, that's great, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, be able to do that, but just keep on striving towards being the best or getting as much back as I can get back um, physically to be able to be there. And I, I think I always did. I always thought about, you know, my kids. Mm-hmm. And were you always like this growing up? Were you always sort of a, I don't know, I'll just keep working at it type of person? Or was this something that you sort of had yeah, to I, dig you know, deep to I, find? No, I think you know, if I look back at my life, I'm, you know, my family always says, I mean, I was always a worker. I was always out there doing something to, 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 to be involved in stuff, to, to work, to whether it was working in little odd jobs, you know, from the time I was a little kid or playing sports and trying to strive to do better at, at those things. Um, and even just to become a fireman, working hard and, and, that is what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a fireman since probably the day I was born. Wow. You know? And I've always wanted to do that. And it was just like, I am going to strive to become a fireman. You know, and, and when we looked at New York, I, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. But when we looked at New York City, it was like, that's the biggest, the best fire department. That's where I want to be a fireman. And it right. was like, 
I'm going to push to do that. So I think I was always like, I always had that in me, you know, to, to do that and to, to always strive to, to try to do better and, and always be positive about the things that I'm doing. Now, would you say that there's a certain breed of person that is attracted to the firefighting life? Like, yes. is there, what's the culture that maybe as outsiders, we don't, we don't understand. We, we have to be a different type of person to want to run into that building. That's right. On fire yes. That you're running out of. So, I mean, we're, we're all a little bit crazy, I yeah. guess, in a little bit. Um, we all, we've all, you're born to want to do, if you're going to do that job and, and you're going to work in busy companies in any city across this country, you know, companies that go to a lot of fires, um, you know, you, you have to, have that mentality. You have to be, you have to really want to do that. Um, so definitely, I always felt like you needed to be born to do that. You know, you, it has to be within you somehow. Right. And, and you have to have that little bit of a craziness mentality, right. you know, but you know, we're also fun and, you know, we like to joke around and yeah. we like to, you know, break each other's chops and everything else. But, you know, it's, it, it's just all part of the thing. And it, and a lot of that stuff, especially the fun part of it and breaking chops is how we deal with the things that we see every day also. Mm, yeah. And, and when we come back to the firehouse and we can, you know, we can sort of joke about that car accident we might've been just at. Right. But it's just us joking about it because we just saw something horrible we just got to make some sort of joke out of it a lot of times. And it's, it's just the way a lot of us deal with a lot right. of those things. And you know? what's interesting to me is I'm sure that there's so much healing that happens in that. Whereas like for me as a therapist, I mean, I like to joke too, but I might yeah. be like, Oh, let's gather around and process what happened. And maybe that's not uh, what is useful to you guys afterwards. Maybe it's just kind of joking around and just sort of, yeah. You know, you know and, and, and but you, you, you get into the bigger incidents that happen, like 9-11 or our fire and the things that happen. And it, it only goes so far with that also. You know, we can joke around about that normal everyday incident. When it comes down to when it happens personally to us, uh, where we lose, you know, friends or we lose coworkers, then we need. We don't, it's not just about, we can joke around about certain things, but mm -hmm. then we need, we do need that outside help. We need people to come and be involved with us. And we need, um, our own, you know, you know, help with our PTSD and our depressions that we're going to have when it comes to those incidents, you know? So there's a lot of things that help about joking around just in the kitchen, but it gets to a point where it may there may not be enough there and right. we're going to need more help after that. Yes. What are the resources like for that? Do you feel that there are enough resources for, for, you know, people that are putting their lives on the line? There, there are a lot of resources out there. Some departments are better than others. Um, there, uh, we, I, I talk about it when I do my talks and I'm like, you know, we need to reach out, you know, you need to see if somebody's having issues that we, we got to get him help. And, and I always, I always look at it the same way as a drug addict or an alcoholic. Um, if that drug addict or alcoholic doesn't look at himself in the mirror and say, "I'm the issue," I got to get you know help. He's never going to get the real help he really needs. 
you know, he needs to step up. We need to help, but then they need to step up too. Our department has very good resources and around the country, they've really started to recognize the problems that the fire service has. Um, a, a battalion chief out in Chicago, Dan DeGrice, started the Rosecrans Foundation, and he has a place where you can, it's almost like a rehab center that you can go to mm -hmm. and stay there for a week, a month, or whatever, and get the help that you need. The International Association of Firefighters did the same thing down in Maryland. They have a facility that you can go to. So it's becoming a, a, a bigger issue within the fire service where even you know, and it's probably started after 9-11, but before 9-11, we had a counseling unit within the New York City Fire Department, but it was like, you only went there if you were the drug addict or you were the alcoholic, mm -hmm. you didn't, or you had family problems. You didn't go there just for on-the-job problems. After 9-11, our job realized it, and I think across the country, realized that, you know, this is a big problem, and now even so many years later, it's it's even a bigger problem, you know, where we're dealing with you know, these PTSDs and depression issues that firefighters, police officers, EMTs, that's probably the worst job. Mm -hmm. You know, paramedics and EMTs that have to see, you know, we went to medical calls, but we didn't go to medical calls every time we went to work. Right. These people that are EMTs or paramedics go and see the horrors every day, you know, and the person in the worst position, um, it's, it's a bad thing and the PTSD that they have to deal with and the depression. And then, you know, if they're not getting the right help, the suicide becomes a big issue. Right. And I think that across the country, it's 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 becoming a bigger thing. And, and you see there's a big conference going on right now in Indianapolis Fire Conference. There's a bunch of classes out there about this mm -hmm. issue, which is great because it needs to be brought to the forefront. Right. You know. Well, and it seems like now we have a language to describe it. You know, I mean, PTSD, yes. I don't know exactly, I should know when that language came about. Um, but you know, what? at least at least now we understand and we can put words to it instead of just feeling like you, you're messed up in the head or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's a reason yeah. why your brain yeah. can't tolerate all of this. Your brain and is it, trying it, to work it out, but it just is an overload. It, and it can't, and everybody deals with it different. Right. I sit there in a room and I'll talk to 20 guys and I said, listen, all 20 of us could go to the same incident. Every single one of us in this room is going to deal with it a different way. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, and I, I did, a, I put a PTSD um, program together, a PowerPoint program that I did for the state of New York at one time. And, you know, you go back to World War One or World War Two. I, I actually used the, the scene from Patton when George C. Scott, who's playing Patton, slaps the soldier in in the in the hospital and you know you know you're a coward get back out there mm -hmm. you know well Patton's thinking in wartime was different than his soldiers thinking but we didn't deal with it like that back then right you know you're, you're a coward get back out there you know and even the Korean War and the, and the Vietnam War you know and then we can bring that into the fire service and obviously we're gonna we're dealing with, it, with all the military personnel also and there again, too, a big problem within the fire service is when military people leave the military, where do they go for a job? They become firemen. They become police officers mm -hmm. because they want to go back into that camaraderie and the, the, the similar lifestyle that they had within the military. 
but they've already got the PTSD and the depression, and now they're going to bring it into the fire service and just continue possibly piling that on top of them. Right. You know, and we have to deal with that, um, you know, in a better way. I, I think it's unfortunately with the fire service, everything's baby steps. And yeah. This is our baby steps. We're working into that. I've seen a lot of great things, like I said, across the country that we're trying to deal with these things and, and make it better for our personnel. Right. When I think you know. so much of it is changing the stigma that's associated with mm-hmm. getting help. And that yes. is not a switch you can just flip. Right. I mean, it's like no, definitely not in the fire service. Right. Or in the no. military, I don't think. No, and or I've, in the military, yeah. yes. And I've heard right. a lot of about this, too, from um, doctors in the medical. I mean, you mm-hmm. would think they, they experience a lot of trauma also in the workplace and that there's just so much, you know, because you have to um, report if you're going to be on any medications or what, you yes. know, just to show that you're competent. And it's sort of suggesting that someone's not competent if they're seeking help, you know, yes. whereas that's yeah. really not the best yep. measurement of competency no it's not and we look at our guys like when i came on the job a lot of the guys the senior guys within the fire service were guys that came on the job in the 60s and the 70s i worked with a lot of vietnam vets and these guys that were some of them that were in tough times in vietnam and were seeing a lot of action and you work with these guys and you and, and they just look at you and they're like you know you, they, they can turn around and say oh toughen up or whatever they, they dealt with things differently and we deal with things. And, you know, I look at guys that I talk to now that have issues and they talk about that. Oh, guys told me this or guys told me to do this. And, you know, we need to change that stigma that we we can ask for help. Right. We can we can have problems. Listen, we can sit around a table and cry and have these. We're not we're tough guys, but we're not tough guys. You right. Know? And we, you're not robots. You're not robots. No. You're human beings. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. And we're all, you're right, we're all human. We all have that issue. And like I said, 10 of us could be sitting around the table. We're all going to deal with it differently, right. you know? So that's what we need to do, you know? Um, what, uh, oh, shoot, wait, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I hate when that happens. It's like on the tip of my tongue. This is what happens when you're getting old, right? Um, my problem is, is I don't write things down and then I forget things too, yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Shoot, PTSD yeah. that we were talking about. And yeah. oh, one of the questions I had was just about what, what are the presentations that you do? You go around and speak to different groups, different firefighters yes. as a support person? or I, Well, I go around. The biggest presentation I do is just going around talking about my incident. And what had happened that day from start to finish and what led up to, you know, and bring out the safety things that our guys can do. I've done other presentations where I've talked to 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 groups and, and tried to be, you know, in, in support stuff or or doing a PTSD class, you know, and talking to firemen about PTSD and depression and things like that. Um, I, uh, you know. So I, I've, I've done a bunch of different presentations. Um, I've talked to lots of different groups. I've talked to doctors in hospitals and groups like that, burn center foundation groups, um, uh, physical therapy groups, you know, where just talking about my injuries and things that happen. And there again, sitting in physical therapy um, and talking and seeing the different people in different stages of their injuries and, you know, trying to help them. You know, and I go back now and I think about, I think I, I knew four or five people that I was in physical therapy with 
that ended up committing suicide because of the conditions that they ended up in because of their injury, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you look back at it and you're like, you know, they just, some people just can't handle that this changed in their life. Right. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of people can, and, right. and some people, but it's just, they didn't get the right help. They didn't reach out for the right help, you know, and, and but they got to realize that, hey, this is just, this is part, this, this happened. You can't change it. I can't change what happened to me in 2005. I have to make my life better so that I'm still here for my kids and my family now, today. Right. You know, and people get into that position sometimes and, you know, they, oh, my life's over because, you know, I'm in a wheelchair or, right. I'm, you know, it's, it's not, not the same. It's not the same life, no. but it's still life yeah, yeah but it's still life and right. it's still and there's so many more things and, and 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 the medical world is adapted to these types of injuries whether it's a soldier losing his legs or his arms or or, or somebody that needs to be in a wheelchair and and being accessible to stuff around this country is is so much better than it used to be obviously that there's no reason why you can't still have a life obviously right. and, and be able to move on well, and what's been interesting to me in doing this podcast and just talking to people with all kinds of different experiences is that it is, it seems like it is that helping mentality that keeps people going. You know, I might not be able yep. to do this that I used to do, but I can still help someone else by sharing my story or by yes. supporting people. Um, yep. I have a friend who was injured in, he dove in the ocean and was paralyzed and he's in a wheelchair and he started this foundation. Um, and he's, he's riding a power wheelchair across the country right now to raise money for people who can't afford (laughs) to pay for their rehabilitation and just things like that, where people, you know, it's, it's not the life you thought you were going to have. Um, but it's, but but it's a beautiful life life. and it's almost not fuller, but just there's something special about being able to help people who have experienced hard things. Uh, One of the questions, this is the question I was, I had forgotten. um, But when you were talking about PTSD, how much conversation is there around grief and suffering and sort of like, is that considered a part of the PTSD or is that considered something, you know, if, if, to me, I'm just trying to imagine being in a very traumatic incident might be different if then you also lost someone and you're also yeah. grieving. Uh, you know what? It's it's. I guess it's all part of it mm-hmm. in, in 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 the big circle of everything. Um, the grief and the and 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 all that is is probably all part of the PTSD. Okay. Um, they're they're. I guess as certain therapists, they can treat it separately to a certain extent because uh, you know. I always say, you know, PTSD, you know, and, and it's even like, you know, grief and, and healing. Okay, you lose somebody, you're going to grieve for a certain amount of time, and then you're going to start to get over it and, and, and move on. Um, PTSD is the same way, I guess. It, you're gonna, it could be strong at times. The difference between PTSD and grief, I think, to me, I think, is that the grief probably, once you get over it, probably not going to come back. Where PTSD, you can have a an episode five or six years, 10 years later where you can, you know, be bam back into something Mm -hmm. 
that you need much more help for where that grief end of it. I don't think, you know, once you get over that things and that's why I think in a way it needs to be treated a little separately. Okay. Even though it is maybe the same, but, but like I said, with the grief, you get over that grief and then you can move on. My father died when I was 15 and I remember, you know, for the first year being, you know, you know, pretty, upset obviously for almost a whole year or so but you get to the point where now I'm so many years later you know that you know I, I think about them and I but I don't grieve like I would right PTSD I think that I have and I know I have episodes here and there that are that are going to affect me for the rest of my life right. more than the grieving end of things right no that no. makes sense yeah what were you a part of nine eleven as well? Were you serving? Yeah, then? I was. A, yes, I was a fireman on nine eleven. I actually was not working that day. Okay. Um, I was. I was actually off, but I went back into work. Um, I, I never made it down there. We got stuck in the Bronx, and they wouldn't let us leave. So okay. we never. I never got downtown until the next day. Right. Um, but I was a part of that. I know many members that passed away that day. Um, and there again, there's a whole nother, you know, thing that's just piled on top of us that we had to deal with. And so I'm dealing with that in the years after 9-11 and then bam, I get hurt in 2005. And then it's, you know, all that PTSD and that depression and stuff built on top of one another. Mm-hmm. So. And what, what would you say that you did that helped you in terms of like a support system during that time? Like how did you decide who you were going to talk to and where you were going to get support from? When I got hurt, I actually, I actually threw the psychologist out of the room. Um, (laughs) I wanted to, I did. And I walk into people. I I went to visit, I I go to visit people in the hospital and I tell them, don't do what I did. I said, listen, I said, but I, I did that, but I didn't not, I didn't seek out therapy. I, I, the biggest person I probably confided in was a priest that used to come and visit me. He was the he was the chaplain for the fire department in, where Kessler is in West Orange, New Jersey. And he actually was our birthdays are the same day. I'm about three years older than him. We were both born on the same day. And but he used to come and visit me like a couple times a week. So my therapy basically was talking to him and just watching baseball or watching when we were both Yankee fans mm-hmm. doing stuff like that. And then the firemen that would come in and we would have, they would visit me every day. I had guys come and visit me. Right. So that was therapy. So it was like the therapist I didn't want to see. I threw her out of the room, right. you know, which a year later I needed to go see a therapist, obviously. Right. But initially I just like, I didn't want to deal with her. And right. that was just my own mindset. I go and tell people, I said, listen, you're going to need to see that therapist. I said, you need to confide in people, yes, whether it's a priest, whether it's the fireman. But there is going to be some point because you are in this traumatic event. You are going to have to seek out a real therapist, you know, and find that person that you can talk to and really work with. Right. And and I eventually found a, 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 a gentleman up here that I would go and see for a good portion of time. And I know that if I need to go back and see him, I can. And right now I'm, I seem to be on like an even keel. So I'm okay right now. Right. So, but um, I think the, the 
and, and they always talked like the priest is a is a therapist is a you know so I felt like I was still talking to a therapist in a way right well and so much of it is just listening you know and just yeah. kind of giving somebody the space to go through that well and I yep. think it's a good point too that. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people like, uh, therapy is not for me or I'm not doing that. And and maybe you're not ready or that's not the time for you. But at some point it's available if you feel yes. like you need something else, you know, yes. if, if what you're yep. doing is not working for you. And, and, and anybody that is in that as, as an, as a, a big of a traumatic event that I was in and even nine 11, you know, um, I think that if I was down there when everything happened or, or, and my situation was a little bit different. I probably would have needed it back then, mm. you know, but I was in a little bit of a different situation. I lost people that I knew and I worked with and I was friends with, but I wasn't down there when everything happened. But when Black Sunday happened, that was obviously very traumatic to me. Right. Uh, you know, so there is going to be a point where you, if you're involved in an incident as deep as that, you have to, you're, you can seek out whatever help and initially you need, but there is going to be a point you are going to have to seek out professional help. Right. Um, and, and most of the time, seek out that professional help so you don't have to go on medications or deal with. So, and I know everybody certainly has to at some point, but it's, if you can work all your stuff out in therapy without it being on any kind of medications to help you, you're much better off. I don't want to be on any medications and I do not take any medications for my psychological, you know, well being. You know. Right. I, I just seek it out with therapy if I need it or whatever I gotta do. Right. No, that's amazing. What um Oh God! I keep I keep losing my train of thought. I don't know. You know how certain times you're just like, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I know what I was gonna say. So when after um, these different experiences that you've been in, and mostly the Black Sunday event, did you experience any survivor guilt? I probably do. Yes, I, I probably still have it. Yeah. I even even when I do talks, I talk about it. I, I was like, you know, six of us jumped on that morning. Mm -hmm. I didn't make the decision on who lived and who died. Right. You know, I tell people, I said, you can believe in whatever you want to believe in or not believe in. I said, I'm not a holy roller. I don't go to church every day. You know, but listen. I did, somebody made a decision on who was going to live and who was going to die that day. <laughs> somebody needed to live. Somebody needed to die, you know, or whatever. Why I lived, I have no idea. Why it couldn't have been John or Kurt, you know, why Why did I have to live, you know, and then pass away, you know, and they could have sat here and told this story instead of me telling the story. So I think I do continually have survivor's guilt, even when I talk about it. And I, and I do my talks and, you know, I think that's always going to be there. Joey DiBernardo talked about it. You know, we, I think we all, Jeff Cool, we all talk about it, mm -hmm. that we all have that survivor's guilt where, you know, why was it, why did I live and why did he die? And, but I always said it, you know, and I, I remember probably the first time I ever said it was to my, my captain that I had, uh, when I first came on the job and he came to visit me and I said, you know, I said, Cap, I didn't make the decision on who was, and he was a very religious guy. And I said, I didn't make the decision on who was going to live or die that day. Mm -hmm. We all jumped. You know, it was up to whoever. I, I right. don't know. You know, so, but we're always going to have that survivor's guilt. Yeah. That's always going to be there. I had a, 
incident personally where I had some survivor's guilt and I had a friend come over and she raised her hand up into the, in the air and she said, guilt is not from God. And I was like, and it was so, I was like, okay, okay. You know, because yeah. it's, I think, and it makes, it made sense to me in that moment in that, like, if God wants you to use your life for something bigger and to spread this message, if you're, yeah. if you hold on to the guilt too strongly, you're not going to be able to go and use your message. And you know what I mean? So it makes sense to me yeah. what you're saying that it's there, but you, you kind of still and, uh, carry on, you know, that's ex- and, and for years and years and years and, and Joey DiBernardo probably had the worst PTSD out of all of us. Uh, and he is the member that ended up passing away in 2011. Um, due to his, I always say he really he passed away because of PTSD, mm-hmm. and um, he had the worst out of all of us. And I think he held that guilt more than all of us. Mm-hmm. And he never delivered the message um, as good as myself or Jeff Cool or Brendan Cawley did, because we were able to let a lot of stuff go in a certain way and be able to get out there and talk about it where Joey basically crumbled in a corner and never really got out there and talked about it. And there you go. He held that, that guilt too high right. where he couldn't give the message anymore. And, and Joey's, Joey's survival needed to be that he was going to get out there and spread the message of safety and the things that we need to talk about mm-hmm. on what happened to us on that day. Right. And unfortunately, he never did it. Right. And he ended up passing away. Well, I think it's awesome that you're, you're out there spreading the message, you know, and maybe on his behalf, you know, maybe that's part of the bigger plan too, is that, you know, if, if you can't move past, you know, and get help, it's not, it's not a safe situation. Yeah. Um, so I am wondering, is there anything that you were hoping to talk more about that I have not asked you about? No, I don't think so. I think we hit everything that's pretty I know. good. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, actually, you asked me too many questions. Uh, <laughs> <We're good. laughs> no. So one of the things I always ask people at the end of the episode is just how you take care of yourself. So it's the family brain, but how do you keep your brain and your yourself healthy as you go out and spread these messages of, you know, self-care? What do you do for yourself to take care of yourself? I probably don't do enough for myself to take care of myself, but, I, you know, I try to spend as much time with my family, my kids. You know, I don't like my my daughters are playing softball. I have twins that were born. They were the ones that were born after I had gotten hurt. I would have never seen them if I died on that day. Um, they weren't born until April after I got hurt. They play soft. They play a lot of sports, but right now they're in the midst of softball season. Mm-hmm. So I don't miss anything that they do. This conference, I used to go. I went to this conference for 10 years that's out in Indianapolis, but I wasn't going to do my class this week. I feel bad for the fire service, but I always put my family first mm-hmm. and my kids first. So they have softball games this week and I'm not missing anything right. with them because again, that's healthy to me. That's what I want to do. Right. You know, there's going to be a point four or five years down the road, you know, you know, when they graduate high school, if they decide not to play anymore, I'm not going to have sporting events to go to. I'm going to have to find something else out for myself. Um, I do go play golf for myself. I get out and I get out in the fresh air and I get out on the golf course and just try to clear your mind. Um, I started doing yoga with another buddy that was a fireman with me. Oh, good. Um, 
not let alone to stretch my body in a lot of ways, but also there again to clear your mind a right. little bit. And, I think uh, yoga is not used enough for PTSD. I think that oh, that is great. a huge, huge a sort of untapped resource, you know, for, yes. for people. I feel I, I just started doing it about a month ago and I feel great about doing it. I'm trying to get some of our other friends involved with it that, you know, have PTSD or right. have some issues up there. And I think it's a great thing for ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that I, I try to do for myself also. Right. Um, you know, and try to keep my, my mind going and, and, and me on the right little path of, and then getting out and doing my talks. I always say that, you know, everybody says, how can you do that talk and relive what that incident every time you do the talk and listen to the radio transmissions and all this other stuff? And I said, well, it's therapy. Mm -hmm. I said, it helps me. I said, there's times where I do the talk and I have no breakdowns, but there's times I do the talk. And I, I did the talk last week, two days in a row. Monday was perfectly fine. Didn't have any issues. Tuesday probably broke down three times. Mm -hmm. Two days in a row. Yeah. Same incident, same right. talk. And I'm like, I have no idea where it comes from. I have no idea when it's going to hit. When it does, it does. And right. I let it go. Right. You know, I just, but I think, but I, and you're helping people just in that, in spreading that message of, yes. you know, it is what it is. You are what you are. You're going to, you're the way you process it is going to look different than the way I process it. And that's okay. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I might like to go yeah. to a softball game to feel good. You might hate softball, yeah. you know I mean? Whatever it is, it's just sort of tapping in and being more aware of what it is that serves you and what doesn't serve you. And if it doesn't I serve have, you, let it go. You know? Yes. I have, I have a friend that likes fishing. So he gets out on a boat and he goes fishing mm -hmm. and he clears his head and he does what he's got to do. You know, everybody's got their own little thing. Like you said, and you just need to do that, and you need to do that for yourself to keep your mind healthy and and on the right path. Right. No, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much. You are great, and hopefully, I'll thank meet you. you in person one of these days. Um, yes. But and we'll give a shout out to Megan for yes. putting us in contact. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Family Brain. I want to thank Gene Stalowski for. All of his insights around uh, managing adversity, and I love the way he's spread, spreading his message to other firefighters and people in helping professions about making sure you take care of yourself um, as well as taking care of other people. I think so often in helping professions, there's so much focus on the help that there's not always focus on the how do we you know, take care of ourselves to then continue to help. Um, so I just want to thank him so much for sharing his message and please leave a review if you get a chance and you can check us out family brain podcast on Instagram and the family brain on Facebook. We have a group. If you want to give me any advice or suggestions for future episodes, that's a great place to go. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.